Good morning, everybody. We realized that since we're doing the scripture a little bit differently, that we didn't give anybody a chance to kind of stand up and shake out a little in the middle of the service. So we're going to do that now. If you would like, if you're able, go ahead and stand up and we're going to play a quick little game while you're standing. This is a quick little fill in the blank game. I'm going to say a phrase and then you can complete the word. This is not a test or a trap. It's going to be fun. Are we ready? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Very good. We've got one more. It's the most wonderful time. Look at you all. Good job. Have a seat. It's Advent season. It's the first Sunday of Advent 2021, the time when the global body of Christ comes together to collectively anticipate the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Advent is kind of new to me. It's only something that I've started observing as an adult because I was always a Christmas person. All Christmas, all the time. I had this unwritten rule that you could start listening to Christmas music on the very first cold day after school starts. So if that happens in November, great. If that happens at the beginning of October, great. If you have a random cold front in the middle of August, great. You can start listening to Christmas music. And I always decorated my house the day after Halloween, not Thanksgiving, because why not? All Christmas, all the time. But this year, something has been different. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I have some theories. My first theory is that maybe I just really enjoy fall now, living up here in Kansas City instead of in Texas where I'm from. The leaves actually change into beautiful, brilliant colors. They match the pumpkins and the fall decorations. The leaves change colors in Texas too, but I'm just not quite as captivated by the varying shades of brown, light brown, dark brown, muddy brown. Ooh, it's just not quite the same. So maybe it's just that I want to hang on to fall a little bit longer, or maybe that it's just that I'm starting to appreciate the season of Advent. There's something special about intentionally anticipating something, the act of waiting on purpose to look forward to something. And in this day and age of instant gratification, I feel like our intentional anticipation is kind of like a lost art or a dying practice. There's something special about choosing to look forward to something. And I love that anticipation actually connects us to our biblical ancestors because they were waiting for hundreds of years for this coming promised child. They were looking forward to and hoping for the Messiah. And that's why the first Sunday of Advent is always the Sunday of hope. But I think this Sunday is even more special because if you remember last year, we were supposed to be together for Advent. The numbers at the beginning of the fall were starting to trend downward and the staff had made all sorts of plans for us to have Advent together in person in the sanctuary. And then in November, the numbers started rising again and we had to pull back and we weren't able to be together. So it is really special that we get to be together in person for Advent this year, especially since that's what we're celebrating at Advent. When God came to us in human form, in person, the Bible says he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in person. But this moment of God coming in person, of the baby being born, people had been waiting for this for hundreds of years. The prophets had told about it hundreds of years before it ever actually happened. 
The people had been waiting and wondering and hoping. And our time of Advent, our observance of the season of Advent, reflects this waiting and wondering and hoping. It's a season for us of anticipation and of preparation and of hope for what's coming. Whoa, that is big. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Nebuchadnezzar's greatest feat, the pride of all Babylon. I heard that he called in all the officials for the dedication. <laughs> all the officials? That's a lot of people. Bet you can't name them all. Challenge accepted. Ten seconds or less. Ready, go. Satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, the province officials. Oh, you forgot one. Three seconds. Satraps, prefects, uh, magistrates. Oh, I'm sorry. You've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not used to how things work here in Babylon. It's not my fault Nebuchadnezzar's got so many officials. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. What is he king of? Babylon? We're in Babylon. For now, maybe. But we're Israelites. This is not our home. And he is not our king. Everyone hopes we'll be going back soon anyways. Remember what the Lord said through Jeremiah? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives, have children, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into this exile. That means we have to figure out how to live here now. That means we respect the king. Speaking of respecting the king. What is that? As we talk about hope this season, as we talk about Advent and the anticipation that it brings, I think it's important for us to clarify what it means to hope. Because so many of us confuse hope with just waiting. And that makes sense because waiting is a part of hope. By definition, hope is looking forward to something that hasn't happened yet. Something that we're still waiting on. But hope is not just about waiting. Because anybody can wait. And we have to. Especially these days, I feel like we're waiting on even more things. We're waiting longer for shipping on all of that stuff that we ordered online. We're waiting at doctor's offices. We're waiting at the DMV. These days, we're waiting in drive-through lines because of short staffing. We're waiting longer than we ever have before. We all have to wait. Waiting is inevitable. But how we wait is what makes all the difference. Because there are all sorts of different ways to wait. We can wait mindlessly, scrolling through social media on our phone, clicking through the episodes on TV. We can wait anxiously, wringing our hands and pacing back and forth, snapping at everybody around us because we're so stressed out. I maybe did that to my family this morning. We're going to talk about that in a second. We can wait impatiently, tapping our foot, checking our watches, honking our horns if we're in the car, using very intense hand gestures to let everybody know how frustrated we are. All of these are ways to wait. But I wouldn't call any of them hope. A few weeks ago, my husband Aaron was having a really bad day. A lot of things had gone wrong for him that day. The kids were being super frustrating that evening. And so when I got home, I decided that I would do something nice for him. 
My husband's comfort food, and I don't understand this, but my husband's comfort food is Kentucky Fried Chicken. It just is. So I said, hey, honey, how about I put the kids in the van, we'll go get some KFC, and we'll come back. You'll have to wait for it because we live up in Kearney. So the nearest KFC is either in Excelsior or in Liberty, and either way, it's a good 15 to 20-minute drive. So I said, you'll have to wait for it, but if you're okay with that, I'll go do it. And he said, yeah, that's fine. So I get the kids in the van, we come here to Liberty, and we get in the drive through line, and we wait. And we wait. And we wait. It was the longest drive through line I have ever sat in in my entire life. And so many times I thought, this is not worth it. I should just get out of line. I should go get something else. But then I thought about Aaron and the day that he'd had and how he was looking forward to it. So I stayed. Baby Maggie was asleep in the back. My older two, I put on a movie for them in the van. And so we just, we toughed it out. So it took us 30 minutes to get through that drive through line. So by the time I drove the 20 minutes back home to my house, we had been gone for an hour and 10 minutes. And I thought my husband was going to be furious because he had had this bad day already. I had promised him this good thing and then it took forever for us to get it. So as I walk in the door, I have KFC in my hands and an apology on my lips. And I had completely underestimated the power of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> because my husband was so excited that we were gonna do this that he had decided to clean off the clutter on the kitchen table to get ready. But as he was doing that, some crumbs fell on the floor, so he just went ahead and swept the kitchen floor too. And then he knew I was gonna have to walk through the living room to get to the kitchen, and that I would be carrying two precious things. First, his newborn baby but also his KFC. So he decided to like clean off the toys that were in the floor and then he compared the floor in the living room with the newly swept floor in the kitchen and decided, well, they're not back yet. I'll just go ahead and sweep this floor too. So I was expecting to come home to an angry husband and I came home to a clean house and a set table and a very excited, happy husband who immediately relieved me of my load, both the baby and the Kentucky Fried Chicken. He still had to wait. Again, we were gone for over an hour. But how he waited was different because of his hope. How he waited because of the anticipation of this exciting good thing changed everything. Hope changed how he waited. Waiting is inevitable, but hope is a choice. Waiting is what we all have to do. It is inevitable. But hope is a choice. And often, it's a risky choice. Waiting with hope means that we've wrapped our emotions up in a future that hasn't happened yet. It means that we have expectations, anticipation of something that may or may not actually come to fruition. Hoping at times defies logic, ignores reason, feels crazy to other people and maybe even to ourselves. It means that we can be let down if things don't go our way. It means that we can be hurt. To wait with hope is to be vulnerable. To wait with hope can be a risk. What is that? It's a royal proclamation. Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That cannot be serious. Seems pretty serious to me. You were saying this is our home now, and he is our king. And you were saying that we are Israelites. We worship none but God. You're both right. So we respect the king. But we honor our God. And we and do, we not, do not, not bow. The scripture tells us that some Babylonians brought to Nebuchadnezzar's attention the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not bowing to his image. Nebuchadnezzar was furious and summoned them to come before him. And as they did so, he demanded to know whether or not it was true that they refused to bow and told them that if they would bow, then everything would be fine. But he ended his vicious threats by saying this, if you refuse to bow, then you will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? And then we read the last recorded words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar, we can see that you are angry, but we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and God will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if God does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Up to this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just Israelites trying to figure out how to live their lives in Babylon. They had recently been torn from their home, been ripped from their entire way of life. Most Israelites believed that God would never let them lose the land anyway. So this turn of events probably left Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stunned, still processing everything that had happened. They probably struggled to figure out how to, how to know how God was working or present in this new reality. They probably couldn't make sense of it. They probably tried even in their unprecedented circumstances to hang on to their faith. That's a key word. We've heard that word quite a lot, haven't we? Sounds really familiar to what we've been going through for almost two years now, trying to figure out how to live in this new reality. What is happening here? You know, when the pandemic first started, I noticed that a lot of people were making changes. Nobody really knew what was happening. We didn't know what was going on because this whole thing was so brand new. So we were making these temporary changes, trying to do what we can to keep ourselves safe, to keep others safe, to like stem the curb. And then the pandemic went on and on. And those temporary changes became less and less temporary. And waiting became harder and harder. And I imagine that's a lot like what the, Israel, what the Israelites experienced, those who were in exile who just wanted to get back to the way things were. But God told them differently. God told them to settle in, to make a home here. Even as they continued to wait for the day that they would return back to the promised land, God knew that how they waited mattered. Build houses, God said. Plant gardens. Get married, pray for the peace of the city. How they waited, while they waited, mattered to God. How they waited mattered, and here's why. 
because God meets us in reality. I know I say that, God meets us in reality, and we're like, well, yeah, we know this. But yet I feel like so often we don't really think that in our head. And see if this sounds familiar to any of you because these are things that I have done probably within the last week. I think if I could just get back to the way things were before. Before I had kids, I was able to wake up early, have a leisurely coffee, enjoy my Bible reading, spend time with God. If I could just get back to that time, then I'd be able to, to be more connected with God, to recognize how God is working. I put God in some past. Or maybe we do the opposite, where we put God and God's presence and God's work in some future. If I could just get my life together, if I could just conquer that sin, maybe once my kids get older, I'll be able to handle this again. We see a lot of this at New Year's. Maybe once we lose the weight, once we pay off the student loan debt, once we get that job or that title we've been looking for, then, then we'll be able to connect better with God. But God is not pulling us back to some past. And God is not waiting for us in some vision of the future. God meets us exactly where we are, right here, right now, in our reality. As messy and as confusing or as surreal or as complex as that reality may be. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is good news. Because if God was waiting for me to get my stuff together, then I would never be able to experience God. If God was waiting for me until I didn't lose my mind when I get too stressed out, then I don't know what would happen. It is good news that God meets us here. I have to tell you, y'all, this morning, this morning I had big plans. I was going to show up to church early so that I could practice the sermon because, you know, this is still relatively new. It still makes me nervous. So I was going to get here in plenty of time. And then this morning at home, my parents are in town for Thanksgiving with my kids. It was like, well, I had to do this quick little thing for the kids and that threw off my schedule. And then I had to do this quick little thing and then that threw off my time too. And then I had to do this little thing. And sure enough, I'm trying to leave the house. It's 15 minutes later than I want. And I am just angry. And I'm like, I'm just grabbing the keys and I'm going to go. And I stomp out to the car. I'm taking my parents' car so they can bring the kids later. And they have this weird little car. And I go to get in and I slam my head on the side of the frame. And it hurt. And I started crying because it hurt and because I'm frustrated. And then my mascara came off. And I'm like, and I'm preaching this morning. And it was just a mess. It was a human, real mess. I have since apologized to my family. They're sitting up there. I've since apologized to them, but I just, I am so glad that God meets us in reality, even as messy and as hard as it sometimes is, and that there's grace for us all to be human. And this, God meeting us in reality, this has always been true. It's true for us now. It was true when God broke into reality back in first century Palestine. And it was true in an incredibly dramatic way for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's how Daniel 3 concludes. King Nebuchadnezzar became even more furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded some of his strongest soldiers to tie them up, and the soldiers did just that, robes, trousers, turbans, and all. The furnace was so hot 
that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tired up, tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Jonathan, I'm going to stop you right there. Thank you so much. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are we good? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their hope came to fruition in a real way. God literally showed up in the fire with them. They literally experienced hope in person. And this happened again when God came to this world as a baby. And it's going to happen again when Jesus comes back to this world in the culmination of all things, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. And this is one of the things that we celebrate and that we look forward to during the season of Advent. The word Advent means arrival. And so for the people who were celebrating Advent at the very beginning, those earliest traditions that observed the four weeks of Advent, only the last two weeks were focused on the arrival of baby Jesus. The first two weeks, they focused on the next arrival, the second coming of Jesus, the time when God would bring all things back into wholeness. This is rightly one of the things that we look forward to, that we anticipate during this season of Advent. And as Christians, we do hope for that second coming, but not just for the coming itself, for all the things that that's going to mean. We do hope for the day when everyone in this world knows how much God loves them, We do hope for the day when God's peace and God's justice reigns in this world, when the Holy Spirit comes and sets all things right. This will happen one day. But we know that it hasn't happened yet. We are inevitably still waiting for it, waiting for Christ to come back. But we have a choice in how we wait. We can do it mindlessly, just going through life, putting one foot in front of the other. We can do it selfishly, only thinking about ourselves and those things that are in our direct point of view or our direct experiences. Or we can wait with hope, with excitement, with anticipation, in preparation for what God is going to do when that happens, just like my husband with the KFC. How we wait matters, and we can choose to wait in this time with hope. So what that means is if we're hoping for the day when every soul would know how much God loves them, then we can embody that hope and let people know now how much God loves them. If we're waiting for the day when God's peace and God's justice rules all over this earth, then we can embody that hope now and be instruments of God's peace and God's justice in our communities, in our churches, in our families right now. 
This is our advent, the anticipation. How we wait matters between one arrival and the next arrival. Everybody has to wait, but we can choose to wait with hope. And we get to embody that hope for the world around us. When my oldest daughter was born, she had to go back into the hospital when she was five days old. Um, they didn't know what was going on. She was losing weight. She had got down to, I think, like four pounds, and she had some sort of infection. And we went to the doctor. The doctor immediately sent us to the ER, but we lived in a small Texas border town, and the hospital was not equipped to deal with a newborn. And so they told us they were going to life flight us and our baby to the nearest children's hospital, which was in San Antonio, which was about three hours away from where we lived. And they said only one parent can go on the plane. So I went with Zoe and Aaron went home to go pack because we didn't know how long we were going to be. We didn't know what was happening. At this point, it was like 10 p.m. We had been up dealing with this for hours, stressed, worried. But he went home to pack us bags so that he could drive to San Antonio in the middle of the night. And while he was packing, our friend Tyler showed up in our driveway and knocked on the door and said, Aaron, get in the car. I'm going to drive you to San Antonio. And he did. They left at about 11 p.m. They drove through the middle of the night. And Tyler spent that night in the NICU with us. He waited with us. He prayed with us. In that moment, Tyler's love for us was incarnational. He didn't just show up for us in spirit, he showed up for us in person. And even though everything turned out all right, Zoe's up there right now, that was one of the greatest examples of embodying the love of God that I've ever experienced. Tyler being there with us in person changed how we waited that night. And that's what God did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Show up for them in person. And that's what God did for us when God came to this world as a baby. And that's what God invites us to do for everyone else, for the world around us, to embody this hope, to not just wait, but to wait hopefully and to be that hope or God's peace or God's joy or God's love for the world around us as we wait in this meantime between one advent and the next. We're gonna close today by giving us a chance to respond kind of the way we started. I'm not gonna make you stand up, but we're gonna play a fill in the blank game. Just a way of us to collectively respond as a community. I'm gonna say how we wait, and you're gonna say matters, if you want. I'm gonna say, and so we wait with, and we can all say hope, okay? How we wait matters, and so we wait with hope.